Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, my name is Ben Stewart and welcome to episode number three of the Create More podcast. On this fortnight's podcast, I sit down with Jay Ann, who is, along with Marie Smith, one of the founding members of Studio Weave. Uh, I've been a I've been a really long time fan of Studio Weave, and um, primarily I just I love their website and a lot of their projects that pop up on DZine and things are just they're just absolutely stunning. They just kind of capture your attention straight away. And uh, in particular, I don't know if you've seen, uh, but uh, we go over it a bit in the in the podcast. But the uh, Lullaby Factory, which is uh, like a fantastic, I guess, audio installation at, at, at a hospital, and also they did a project called the Longest Bench, which is um, a really really nice community based project where they uh, we go into it in the podcast again, and I'll put up images through Acast and things. But check it out; it's really cool. It's uh, it's like a, I think it's two hundred fifty to three hundred meter long bench. And each slat on the bench, you can pay money and you can dedicate the slats on those bench to, to, to whoever you want. And then we go over it and it's a, just a really, really nice project. And their their website, if you check it out, studioweave.com, is a really, really nice, very story-driven website. And uh, I really wanted to find out more. And uh, in episode one with uh, uh, Assemble Studios, where I sat down with Jane, I actually found out when I was talking about who I liked. Uh, I found out she actually worked for Studio Weave, and she put me in touch with Jay, and uh, and that was just, that was really nice. And then I got got in contact with her, and uh, yeah, and and Jay was we went around his studio, and we sat down, and um, yeah, it was really really good fun. So this is this is episode number three of the Create More podcast, and uh, I hope you've gone back and listened to episode one with Assemble Studios, and also I hope you enjoyed episode two with David Batchelor. Um, yeah, this has been it's been really good fun. We've now. We've got hundreds of downloads now. I mean, I don't think that's in a small part because of uh, a certain Mr. Scroobius Pip tweeting this uh, this podcast, and uh, definitely had quite a spike on the day that that happened. But um, yeah, it's going really, really well. So I really hope you enjoy the podcast. And at the end of the podcast, I'll let you know who I'm going to sit down with tomorrow. Actually, when I record this, uh, I'm really excited about it. It's uh, it's another installation architect, and uh, I really want to tell you about it. So listen in the end, and uh, and I'll tell you all about it. Um, just before we get into the podcast, I do want to. Uh, I do want to thank Acast. Uh, they've been brilliant, and their website is amazing. And I think special mention should go to Renee, their content manager, who has been so helpful, and also to the very patient Gustav, who's uh, been dealing with their technical support and has been uh, dealing with my late night moanings and uh, explained to me how to work what is a very simple website. So thank you to Acast for to, for supporting this and uh, hosting this podcast because it's all automated, there's images, there's videos, it's, it's all free for you guys and it pops up on iTunes and everything about the website is brilliant. So I really hope you enjoy the podcast and listen in to the end to see who's next one next week. Yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm recording now. So um, as I said, there's no introduction. It's just uh, a very free-form chat. But I'm here with uh, with Jay from Studio Weaves. Thank you very much for inviting me over to studio. Thank you for coming all the way to um, Dalston. Yeah, it's uh, it's I, another great studio. As I was saying to you before, it was um, it's been really great to go into other people's studios and see how the setup works. I do think uh, people's studios directly resemble how they work and operate. Like going into Assemble Studios... It was, uh, you know, you're in the middle of a big warehouse and then mm. I went to David Batchelor's studio and it's very clean and pristine and wonderful and there's arts everywhere. And it's just, it's really nice seeing all of you in one room. Yeah. Which I guess adds, I think it's important to have everyone very close together and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and no, I mean, we're really chatty people. So, you know, it's, um, um, I find it quite weird when there is silence in office. Yeah. That means something is up in the air. So I get quite <laughs> hesitated. Um, but no, no, I mean... Yeah, we're thinking of actually moving to a um, um, bigger open warehouse space oh, really? um, because I mean, when we moved to here first time, we were four of us. Was it? Or were we five of us? Um, and then now we are um, we're nine of us. Um, so yeah, we want a bit more space to do stuff. Yeah. Really. 
So I, th- I guess I had lots of questions. I was going to I was going to start from the beginning, but I, I wanted to talk to you about you, your on your website it says big news. We're we're merging with zero zero, but it's not merging. You're you're no. collaborating. We're or? joining forces. It's um, you know the human human assemble and and how we um, how they how they operate. Um, I mean I've been knowing them since right from the beginning almost, mm. um, and. And had a lot of chat um, how they work, um, and just nature of um, um, how we work and how we share information and how we form teams within within um, um, office and with a wider um, a consultants is uh, changing quite a lot. Mm. It's not really hierarchical um, uh, output, um, so it was becoming somewhere in between collective, but you know the. Um, uh, each other knowing each other's ability and started to form a team um, in the surrounding projects. So what? What? what why? Why zero zero? Did, did you know them through? Oh yeah, or? yeah, yeah. We've been we've been known them for a long time. I mean, it's a small small world, but um, I'm very very good friends with them. Um, did you go to uni, or do they work locally? Or? Oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, maybe what I could do is. Can I ask it? No. <laughs> Uh, and perhaps <laughs> what I do is uh, put that in the other room if you don't mind. That's that's fine. Where were we? So we were um, zero zero. Why, oh, why yeah. zero zero? How um, did you get to know them? So, uh, <laughs> you can get that. There you go. It's fine. So zero zero. Yeah. So um, I don't know what really defines. Um, I mean, we have traditional models of how companies work mm. and how architects' offices work, and it just didn't seem. Well, I don't know exactly how they work, to be honest, um, but it, it. We just wanted to find our own way of working. So, um, zero zero has grown into um, quite a different, eclectic of um, architect, non-architect, you know, combo of. Mm. Um, multiple companies are working for built environment policies and furniture making um oh, so they're involved in loads of different i i i've not i'll have to look yeah, into zero zero yeah um and you know the, we've we've known them since well almost right from the beginning so are they uh, a similar scale to you guys or are they oh no 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 no, no. i think their architecture uh, just core architecture group might be about similar size mm. but um, um overall if you count all their you know, the pro- under Project Zero Zero, probably about, I don't know, 50 to 70. Wow. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, because there are like subsidiaries, there are a lot of people um, collaboratively working and they're sharing resources and, and their talents. And they, again, they um, um, make team for the projects and each subsidiaries and their endeavor mm-hmm. is a project. That's quite clever, So isn't it? I think it just naturally happened. And, um, um, I mean, myself and Maria has been thinking about this right from the beginning um, when we were looking for a name. Um, well, it's not like we wanted to actually have a practice. Mm. It, we had to have a um, practice name and limited company in order to have insurance to do a project. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's funny that uh, you, you were saying you, you, you didn't start out to be a practice. You just kind of had to form a, yeah. a limited liability company to get... Because it was the same with Assemble. When I asked them... They were like, no, I, I think we're just we're just a large group of people who who are who are in the same space trying to do the same thing at the same time. And the only reason we formed Assemble was so we could get money, you know, like from the Arts Commission. I, I don't know. It's a totally different way of thinking. I'd, I'd never really thought of it like that. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's quite a, quite an interesting way to look at it. Only way I could possibly describe is um, we're not really career or capital driven people but we're mission driven people and a mission comes with the projects and in order to deliver the project you need some kind of um, support mechanism mm. and for us it's, that's the company which yeah. is just a backbone to support individuals endeavor and we happen to share core values together and yeah it's, it's funny it's my um because the, the, the kind of the basis for this podcast was uh, the idea of starting your own practice. It sounds like when you're at uni, you're like, oh, wouldn't it be great to start your own practice? And me and my friend Tom, this is always our dream, right? Start our own practice. And then we went out into industry and we realized, oh, it's so complicated to get clients and keep keep the momentum going. And just 
it's funny to hear you saying we're not corporate driven people uh, we're like you know we're, we're, we're there to create something and we will make money because of that but that's not our primary goal because that would drive my friend Tom mad he's mm-hmm. like it, it, he's like no you need to understand what the value is that you're achieving and then and then stick to a fee and stuff and it's the reason I was drawn to your website was because the website's amazing like it, it looks so nice like I, I don't know do you guys develop that in-house um, I mean we are very good friends with um, um, Polly Mekanos Joseph Kohlmeyer mm. um, who um, I sing in a choir together um, um, it's Musark based in London Met um, I was a founding member he's a um, founding director I used to be director for the Musark for a mm. while and treasurer um, I mean very good personal friends and um, just yeah the project Again, it's a project. Yeah. So, you know, we've been collaborating on making website. Um, but it's, I mean, it, it's just a, it's such a beautiful website. And, and again, I liked it because in all of your pictures, you've got people using it, interacting with it. And they're all, they're all you, you've got a lot of story driven stuff as well, which I don't think is particularly. Yeah. And I mean, I find that quite interesting that how people say it's a story driven, because for me, how we understand the world mm. is through narrative and story. I totally you know, agree. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, um, what's the purpose of built environment if no one's in it? Yeah. <laughs> I always find it weird that I, no, I know that architects love images with nobody in them. Like, I do, I do get that. But then at the same time, no one is ever going to see, especially big buildings, no one's ever going to see them with no one in. Well, I mean, if you're an um, um, architect, just going in once there's a fit yeah, finished. That's true, yeah, but yeah. No, I think I think it's not it's not the reacting against that. It's um, that is a, a, a style of uh, photographing something mm. and representing certain idea. Yeah. Then you apply your imagination with the people in it. Mm. You know. So I I don't know. It's, it's not it's not something either or. But you know, that's um, what we like is um, when people are there and. Mm it's being alive and it's colourful and yeah and it's lively and um and that's what I really really like I think that's great and uh, a lot of your you've got a lot of community based architecture projects and you've done uh, it's, like, it's like a studio in the woods and I can't remember the actual yeah. name of it uh, but in all the images you've got lots of children playing you've got like the bird watchers in it and I guess the original concept is always that but you've you've made sure that you can see that from start to finish and that I mean that was a just they happen to be in the photograph <laughs> because um, you, you know, were like get out the photograph get out I'll oh, stay in the photograph yeah no no it's, it's, it's just you know the um, yeah again I mean it, it we just have a lot of stakeholder um, participation mm. um, and you know the, one of the things that we believe is um, um, the built environment and, and, and what we do as a every day, it just involves a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and we are placing something in a world that other people will be using. Um, so why not involve them? Yeah. Um, we don't ask them to design something for us. No, it's true. You know, um, we're not asking them, these are our options. Can you pick for us? We just talk to them and... Um, it's, it's just a part of design process, I guess. But your website has... Um it's, it's got like a dual scroll function now. Ah, yeah. Seen. yeah. So on the on the kind of left hand side, you've got all the really really nice architectural images, and on the right, you've got the kind of the whole process and the story behind it. And for me, modern like the way that we engage with architecture is ninety nine percent through websites, right? You know, like fair enough if you go to some of the buildings, you see them, you, that that's great, and you can go around them. But most of the time, you see it on DZine, you think, oh, it's a great project. You go on their website and all of the way that you engage with that practice is through the website, right? And I mm. and yours is so so interesting and engaging just to scroll through and see everything. And it, I think for architects, it's, it's fantastic. And mm. I was wondering, do clients, do a lot of your clients go to the website and think that's fantastic? Or do you hear feedback from them? Or I don't know. To, to be honest, I don't know how our client find us. Um, we haven't had a private client um, a lot of our work is through um, public tender. Mm. Um, we now have um, very few um, independent commercial mm. clients. We work a lot with charities. Um, but I don't know whether they look at our website. Um, to be honest, it's just out there. That's yeah. just kind of like... Um, 
Do you, um, do you enjoy feeding into the website? And, like, it's like, an, as you said, it's another project, right? So like, yeah. are you, you're very passionate about it. Is it exactly how you want it? This, this is, you know, you constantly feed all the projects in, you, you show it off and stuff. Yeah, and I mean, the, it's a sort of a, a record um, archive of our mm. process as well. And I mean, yeah. I often go to our website just to, to read through the, um, the project. It's like, oh, that's what we did. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, you know, it's obviously recorded in several different ways, but um, um, it's the way to communicate it in another different medium. Mm. Um, Especially and, the temporary nature of yeah. a lot of your projects, right? That, yeah. that they may not be there in a couple of years' time and you have to... Yeah, and I mean, now we're doing a lot of, um, I mean, far bigger projects, mm. um, which going to take a lot longer. But... Um, um, shorter, temporary, well-ish driven project happened to finish earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine. I guess the, the turnaround of the smaller projects is such a night. You must do, I guess you can do four in a year, no problem, and then the oh, big yeah, projects yeah, take yeah. years to do. Yeah. But it's, um, the attention goes in, it's not much different. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a, a small project, a quick firing, tight budget, fixed program they are exhausting mm. they are they are hard to deliver because um, the amount of the amount of effort that you have to go in I'm you've just got this big image of the uh, the lullaby factory behind you which is one of that was one of the reasons I uh, I originally wanted to interview you guys was uh, I was chatting to Jane from Singapore yeah. and I was like Do you know one of the studios I really want to interview Studio Weave because have you seen the lullaby project they did and she was like yeah I worked there and I worked on that project yeah. so I was like Oh well, <laughs> but again, it's it's a small project, but it it must have been so complicated. Oh, that project was a complicated project. Um, I mean, it's just the sheer number of practicalities, yeah. and um, um, yeah, I mean, you understand, you're an yeah. architect. Yeah, no, um, I think yeah, I was because um, I, I guess uh, I know I know some of the people that listen to this are part ones, you know, still at uni, yeah, and. Uh, why don't you explain what the Lullaby Factory is because you'll explain it a lot better than me oh well I guess it's one of the strangest projects we've done um, so Great Holman Street Hospital um, is in um, um, Holborn um, in London um, they have this um, um, this complex of sites that uh, they're continually redeveloping building by building because you know when they finished the last building to one building they refurbished I don't know 25 30 years ago is coming to the end of his life and things like that um, and a new building a Morgan Stanley building I believe that's the name um, is facing um, this a Victorian um, um, service wall mm. of an old um, hospital block but is uh, designed to be overlooking um, this nice um, um, open public space which is not going to be there for quite a while because there is a building there um, so the, the project came about um, um, client wanted to, um, um, to make this space more lively or mm. enhance um, was it a competition? Uh, yeah that was invited to competition and um, um, we were like okay, this is not about the project, less is more. This is definitely one of those projects, more is more. <laughs> loads of pipes, loads of services. What are they all doing? And um, no one really knew exactly what they do because you know how the services get added on yeah. to the back of the house and no one knows which pipe goes where in the end <laughs> because the record is obviously completely lost. So we're like, oh, that's great. We're going to have more of it. <laughs> um, and um, we just imagined and we dreamt um, with um, a lot of um, glasses of wine and this is <laughs> a factory that produces lullabies um, yeah that's kind of all, all began and then it just uh, having the concept and just unfolding what the lullaby factory might be and <laughs> and what kind of ingredient you will you will need I'm fascinated by this manufacturing process it's uh, very beautiful very functional yet the complex nature of the design yeah. uh, methodology and the logic it's just um, great so and the idea is at the base that you can you can listen in right like it's yeah. just bringing sounds and stuff in like how the hell do you tune these massive pipes did you how do they just randomly make noise or are they tuned specifically? oh no 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 this this is a folly the whole thing is um, a narrative driven story driven that human 
not meant to be able to listen, especially while you're awake. It's uh, very, you know, it's split second just before you fall asleep, you hear lullabies. Um, but the, the obviously the um, the insulation itself doesn't make any sound. Um, we um, we worked with Jessica Curry, who is a composer that um, um, composed the first iteration of the lullaby, and that's broadcasted through um, um, in-house patient um, FM, and also you can hear it right. from um, 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 the few um, uh, trumpets um, at the balcony. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, this is not meant to be actually producing a sound, catching the wind or anything okay. like that. You know? Oh, but because in one of the images, you've got someone stood at the bottom on the balcony listening. So those things actually... Those they, things actually uh, have a sound coming out. And, and that's done by a, a, a composer who's yeah. done... So nice, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, we're hoping basically that um, the whole premise was this um, lullabies in a loop. So 24-7, mm. it never stops. Um and that there will be um, um, another composer adding on that. A just oh, growing okay. library of um, loopable um, lullabies. That right. was the idea. So. Sounds, I, again, mind blown. That just sounds like such a, such a nice project to be involved <coughs> with, right? And then, does that, did, did, you, did you then get more work? Because the hospital is like a massive, once you get on their framework, I guess, and they, they must have lots of installations and stuff they're doing, or is it not quite as simple as that? No, I don't think it's um, um, as simple as that. It's not um, the question of a sector. Um, mm. And again, you know, as I said, I don't know how our client finds us. Um, it's not like we do adverts or, you know, aggressively go out parties and try to prod yeah. clients. Um, I guess on the business side, I'm just trying to... I, I don't know how a small practice gets more work in. You mm. see, this is this is kind of part of my my exploration of interviewing like these smaller practices and stuff. Because how did, how did Studio We first start then? If we, if we go back right back to the beginning, was it was it just you and Marie just like do you know what we're just going to go and do some projects? Or? No, it wasn't. It wasn't even that. I mean, um, before we when uh, after a year out. Um, this was uh, in the middle of our part one. Mm. Um, we just went to a workshop for London Architecture Biennale um, at that time. It was called now called London uh, Festival of Architecture. Mm. Um, this was 2000, oh, 2005 um, to have a workshop um, um, in view of doing an installation for um, London Architecture Biennale 2006. Um, it was just weekend we thought it might be fun before we go back to university uh, we made a proposal and somehow we managed muddled through sponsorships and <laughs> things and happened um, just as simple as that it just yeah. that's how you got your first yeah. so what, what was the very first project that you um, it was uh, 140 boomerangs um, it was um, um, a CNC cut um, um, LVL a timber product um, and it's wrapping around this um, um, a disused fountain um, the water fountain in the city of London mm. on just south side of um, um, a Smithfield market at uh, the mid market and we wrote a story narrative about Ola um, the, who's a goddess um, and this um, um, the fountain is a secret gate to the underworld and we had uh, workshops with children imagining creatures uh -huh. and things it was an exhibition of those um, um, clay models and, and things like that um, and uh, one of the sponsorship we've got was from City of London um, who actually purchased the 50% of the project because we didn't want to make a project that will be um, just destroyed um, after the um, Biennale Festival itself, mm -hmm. so they became urban furnitures. They were reassembled oh. and they were disseminated. Um, so that's how we got the funding together and um, with the support of London Metropolitan University, um, we were able to do that as our final year um, a project. So you actually wrapped like a live project into your university? Yeah. Oh, see, again, that makes so much sense to me. I was uh, saying to Jane that these kind of projects seem like the perfect things to do for your part two. That was a part one. Part one. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's a part two worthy project because it's not complex enough. Oh, okay. Um, but I, 
I don't know. And I mean, it, it's just a different, different way of um, um, uh, achieving the goal of education. Mm. And, you know, it, not everyone goes through the same path. Um, but, you know, it, I say to a lot of people, um, if you want certain way and that works for you, then ask. Yeah. Um, don't be afraid of being told no. I just think that uh, doing your part two, you go back and you mm. do, you, it may, you know, you can do whatever you want, you make these works of art, but then you go into the real world and every single little thing that you do is based on time and money, the, the, or money, and the one thing they never, ever, ever get you to do at uni is ever think about money. I, I, I disagree that everything is about money. I would say everything is about value. Mm. And where you place their value, whether that's a monetary value or your self-satisfaction mm. or your mission or, you know, the, the value comes in lots of different shapes and forms. I mean, instead of money, budget, I think I meant is So I, I love the idea that you, you do a live project that has a, a budget, has a client, yeah. has a time frame, coupled with all the, all the um, pragmatic, theoretical part of doing an architecture project. That, to me... Don't, I still love doing my part one and part two, but mm. it seemed it would have seemed like a more logical step up from doing a part one. Don't worry about budget, time, and money, and client, and then for your part two, engaging in something you know more complicated, but that still has some live output at the end. And I know a lot of the model. Some of the universities have, I guess, they put shows on where they have to build stuff, and I, I think that I think that makes more sense to me that you have to there has to be like a physical output as opposed to all digital. Well, I don't know. I think architecture itself is such a broad mm. discipline. Yeah, I, I don't think I can say one way is, is right or another is wrong, really. Um, I think as an individual, as a citizen, the who is contributing to the built environment, that we need to be interested in really broad, mm. you know, the area of things. Um, the, in, the, in the same manner, I think, you know, that, the students in architecture should be very attuned to the politics and economic theories mm. and sociology and psychology and philosophy and geology and chemistry. Mm. I mean, we'd have to have broad interest, but we don't have to be specialists in every single one of them. Mm. Um, I think the, the problem um, I see is that when you when you can't translate your academic understanding and the skills that you have developed into a, a reality. Mm. Um, yeah. Because um, in academia, you can dream and you can, um, you can fantasize and you can develop to the nth degree without certain, I wouldn't even call it restrictions. It's a, it's a different set of parameter. Yeah. And then you come out... Um, and, and you apply those ideas and think about how you can translate it. Um, and I mean, as an architect, as a profession, as an architect, um, how I see myself is translating between a lot of different disciplines mm. and from dreams to, you know, plumbings to um, <laughs> politics to, I don't know, you know. It's, That's it's, a really good point. Now, I realize I do sound, I sound overly negative of my part one and part two. I love them and mm. it allowed me so much time to develop what I now fully fall back on in any design meeting, which is the things that I really love and I know I like. And mm. first and second year, I just didn't know what that was. And then third year, I had a great tutor called Nicola Gerber who kind of, just pushed me in the right direction and since then I've always explored my own things so I feel like I'm being very negative no no no, no I don't I don't I don't think you are it's just uh, um, um, I think you know the, a lot of people I mean obviously education is a big issue mm. um, how do we educate the future architects I mean that itself I find it quite um, yeah. um, weird why do we need to educate future architects we are educating people of built environment and architecture. Um, so it's, I, I don't know, the discipline, it's uh, quite a, quite a um, the weird state at the moment that we're trying to find ourselves um, as a architectural profession mm. and what word architects mean and all that kind of stuff. But um, um, I guess my, my point is that um, um, a lot of people put emphasis on institutions that what institution is doing wrong 
Um, but I sometimes find questioning back to students. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what are your interests? Are you thinking or are you just going with the flow? Yeah. So, I think I've just suddenly realized the thing that I, uh, I liked about you having a live project is that actual people who are nothing to do with the uni get to enjoy your thesis project, right? Mm. So, and that was when I saw uh, Assemble's kind of earlier projects and it was just full of people and, and, yeah. you're, and this idea that, you know, I spent years doing this art, like architecture work and then only maybe my other students and some, like three tutors saw it and then it was never, it's never been seen again. Mm. And I think I, I want people to experience it, you know, like, and that's why I liked, you know, the idea that you had a live project that people can go and... Yeah, but you, you learned from it yeah, and, and you, and... I realize I'm being, I'm hating on it again and I don't mean to No, 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 no. I, all I'm, all I'm saying is, is just, um, um, if your passion is to learn through live project, pursue it. Mm. If your idea of um, um, architecture is exploring to the nth degree of a theoretical backbone and what something might be, because we, we need dreamers and we need practical ones. And as long as they talk to each other yeah. and understand each other, that's perfectly fine. That's a really good shout. If there's any part ones listening, they need to they need to find out what their strengths are and couple up with some yeah. other people who have yeah. opposite strengths and form a little unit. No, I mean it's just uh, it's just as as simple as that. It's like you know we we have mathematicians who digs in the pure um, a world of mathematics that not many people in the world will understand, and we have artists you know that digging into their own self belief in a lot of different way. I think we need all of them. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't really thought of it like that. So, uh, I'm going back to your first project. So, so then the next project, were you, were, did you just did uh, you and Marie just think, do you know what? I think we can do this. Let's, or, or did you just move down to London and it slowly evolved? Or, well, after the 140 boomerang project, we're like, okay, um, we graduated. Oh, um, I guess we will do part two <laughs> yeah. um, um, and but you know we were asked by City of London to look at a small um, um, bit of a public space mm. um, as a feasibility study and we were asked by um, a group of entrepreneurs um, led by Jane Wood who commissioned Heatherwick Studio for the East Beach Cafe down in Littlehampton to that. just uh, have a look at um, their promenade and placing some benches. Um, that was how everything just began and then the ambition grew and and there was, I mean, we we're incredibly lucky to be supported and, and be part of um extraordinary journey of other mm. people um this is the the this the, the longest bench the longest bench yeah. Yeah. is it it's the longest bench in the uk or the world well it's designed to be 600 um 628 meters something like that at uh, the moment that's, that's um, a long bench yeah <laughs> um 300 odd um meters has been delivered it's definitely the longest in uk um, but you know the longest bench in the world is a very contentious territory you should just go for it until someone proves you otherwise I think you should just uh, you should just say longest bench in the world yeah I mean, it's just a very very long bench because I was watching a talk you did uh, for, for Hackney Design Weekend and um, oh what did I say no you were great you were fine you, uh, you <laughs> did a lovely talk about uh, about was it one of her it's for her birthday her 30th and she, you, you, there was some pigs being slaughtered I'm, I'm paraphrasing massively there was a, some sort of a tradition when she went home <laughs> oh no, 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 no I think I think you got you got um, too too confused yeah. um, the Maria's um, 30th birthday was basically sweatshop party that was it yeah, yeah sorry yeah and there was um, a tradition yeah um, I and so many friends were invited to this um um um, yeah, East London warehouse, starting from noon till midnight, um, making a quilt. But that that, was, that just sounds like torture. So you just have to sew for an entire day. Basically, so and chat, <laughs> eat, and slowly getting drunk, and yeah, it was quite a quite a beautiful day. <laughs> well, I, I should say as well that I'm using. I host this podcast on Acast, which is an it's uh, like a hosting website but you can embed images into the podcast so if you mm. listen to it on your phone or anything 
um, as we're talking, I'll um, pop up images that are on your phone and also links. So I, I'll, I'll link the DZine chat so people can understand why I'm massively paraphrasing and getting two things mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in that talk, you were saying that the bench continues in length because people can like uh, donate and, yeah. and they, they can write a note yeah. on the actual pieces of wood that form the slats of the bench, yeah. right? And uh, people have put marriage proposals. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, we had a couple of marriage proposals on um, our <laughs> project. Um, Freya's Cabin um, up in Northumberland. We've got a really nice email from, um, um, I guess, a fiancé. Probably married now. I mean, this is years back. Um, that um, he took his girlfriend up there and um, um, he... He proposed to her uh, <laughs> on the spot with a sunset, and uh, she's uh, this is Jura, um, a jewelry designer, um, and um, um, she wants to make an engagement ring um, with the um, little Freya's cabin on the top. So oh. you know, um, we gave them three D models, and we had a nice little chat over the email. Um, yeah, and um, a longest bench was used um, as um, a proposal as well. That's so uh, nice, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I think it's just, that's great. It's all part of the uh, all part of the story of, yeah. of your bigger projects. Yeah. So, so then, I still, I still, I'm just fascinated how these studios start. I think I'm, I'm trying to work. This is like an instruction list on how a small studio can start and become a, a studio as big as yours. And I, so you, you got your second project, the longest bench. And then, when did you decide? Okay, we, because it was just you and Marie, right? This time, when do we? Like, okay, we're going to take the next step. We're going to get a studio space or we're going to employ a few more people or was yeah, it just... Yeah, I mean, we were just two of us for first about... Um, first about two years and we'll... I mean, this is actually our first outside of our living room studio space. So that, that was so that's how you first started. It was, it was yeah. at your house, was it? Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't, again... It wasn't, we weren't doing it to start a studio. Mm. We were doing it because there were projects. And yeah. it just happened to be, you have to have a certain setup to do a project. You know, you receive a contract from City of London, you read it through and what kind of liabilities you have and, you know, the insurance requirements and, you know, you, you just go with it. So... Did you? How many people did you have at your house then? There's actually people <coughs> working um, at your house. Maximum, I think, uh, by the time we had a five people in 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 the living room, really? <laughs> um, we were like, "That's it, that's it, we're moving out." Because <laughs> it must, I think as well. I'm starting to get a very um, in the question in my head. How do you start your own studio? Just really hard work and being super passionate. I think though, those are the. That seems strikingly obvious, but... But why, why would you want to? That's, I, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, like, wh why... What was the decision? Did, did you ever think, I, do you know what, we've done this now, I'm going to move to a bigger practice, or was it always, I want to I control and have, like, personal... Not control, but just freedom to, to explore and do whatever you want, or did you... was. Studio Weave, like... Um, you never really have a true freedom. I mean, this is John Stuart Mill all over again, but, you know, it's like a freedom from and, you know, freedom to, all that kind of argument. But, you know, what is the freedom in the architectural world? Mm -hmm. Yes, as I, as I was saying, you know, you can dream as much as you want, yeah. but as soon as you have to apply to the real world, you have to consider other people. Oh, the people. It's <laughs> getting in the way, aren't they? No, that's the best part. That's the best part. The best thing about, you know, the, um, the studio is I am interested in organization at the same time in a built environment. Mm. It's about people and how we apply ourselves um, in a society. And it's, it's all about human endeavor. And I find it fascinating. And I want to nurture and encourage people to do what they're passionate about, mm. you know. And, and that's my passion, to to build a framework and the basis to let people thrive. Yeah. You know? Um, and if I can do that personally, whether it's a studio weave or big other practices, mm. it doesn't really matter because what matters it are, are the people yeah. there. So 
you know, it's just working um, with the zero zero is kind of same same thing. Um, studio Weave has its mission as a um, a studio, and what we do is often perceived as a slightly quirky and different, but it's because people are driven in a certain direction. That doesn't mean we're not interested in other things, but you know, that this is the direction we are at at the moment. So it's not about having control. Mm. Um, yes, I like well-built things and you know, well-thought-out things, but I believe in multiplicity of human society. We are different. All should be respecting each other of the differences. The One of the, um, the reason I became British and the something I love about this country is, is we are encouraged to be who we are. Mm, I totally agree, yeah. You know, and well, why don't we do that with all other institutions? Why are we worried about um, the corporate culture? As long as they can be different and flexible and it's about people. Mm, yeah. Often they are not. I, I, can, I can completely see that, but you know, it's, um, but if you want to change it, change it yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's the thing though isn't it if, if, if you don't agree with something then do something different yourself I think it's just taking that first leap and that first step I guess yeah. I mean your your first project just you went out and you got a project and then you've just built on that and I guess the momentum's just been there is, is there been points where you've not had work in and you've just and you've thought, well, okay, let's have a hiatus for a bit. We're not going to work in. Or have you always just, just through you know hard work or luck or networking, just constantly had a kind of slow or steady? Business is hard. Yeah. Um, it's a harsh world out there, um, and um, you know, the earning is an issue. Living in London is an issue. Yeah. Um, finding somewhere that you can afford is an issue but you know you can't balance that with the joy that you get out from people and the project yeah. And, um, um, yeah and you move forward um, I don't know I I gen I don't retain negative memories very well. <laughs> I totally agree with you. Yeah. If it's negative, it falls out my memory. Completely. Yeah, it's um, but but it's it's hard. It's yeah. hard, um, and sometimes you get really depressed looking at the reality in a negative um, turn. Um, but you know, you tell yourself off. You pick yourself up. Have a few gin teas and then you're yeah, exactly. back in the game. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was um, um, filling in um, um, patient data update yesterday um, in dentist and they were asking, so your average um, uh, consumption of uh, alcohol um, <laughs> per week in units, I was like, whoa. <laughs> they might as well shine a detective and you're like, uh... uh. <laughs> I, I had the exact same thing and they were like I was like what's the most you're allowed in a week and they were like nine units and I was like yeah, then forget I drink that. nine units and they just wrote down nine I'm like, who drinks nine units in a week that's uh, four and a half pints in a week in a week yeah four and a half pints that's just a Thursday night well yeah exactly <laughs> that is exactly what I said I'm like that's ridiculous <laughs> and when they go that's a week right and you're like uh, no, uh, yeah yes. sure why not yeah that'll, that'll do yeah. but then I guess like uh, you need a healthy intake of alcohol just to just to get out of your head for a bit right I mean I mean I don't know some, um, I sometimes enjoy non-alcoholic beer <laughs> a rare rare occasion yeah, yeah. rare occasion for breakfast but, sure you know <laughs> um, but you know I guess it's the, it's the it's keeping the momentum up of a practice right because when it's when it's just you and Marie when you've got the projects in great when you don't you know there's other things but when then once, once you start building up the, yeah. the, the employment employee number you're like oh god we've got a it's a thing now I've got yeah. a got to keep it going and then it's stressful yeah I, I, I think it's stressful just in a like a tiny 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 little way and in no way do I think this is it anyway but doing the podcast and I said I was going to do one every two weeks and I was like how hard can that be it's always in the back of my head now because I, I 
you know, I need to get another one, need to get another one, need yeah. to get, and, and that's just a podcast, it's just like a passion project for me. So when you've actually got to get projects in and stuff, and... It's a pressure, yeah, it so definitely is. Because you're, I'm going down what is art and what is architecture route with this question, because... Um, I'm looking forward for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I was uh, cycling around near the Gherkin stuff, and I saw, oh, I can't remember the name of it now, it's embarrassing, it's the, uh, I'm going to describe it really poorly, you've got a wonderful floating timber sculpture oh you mean um um at all gate yes yes yeah that's it yeah it's the it's the palace upon pillar palace on pillar that's the one I'd yeah. to me that's art right but you're i guess you would call yourselves an architecture studio but you don't you don't call yourself an architecture studio, no. studio. <laughs> but uh your your output I, I i i feel it's like it's 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 art and architecture right like it it's this is what I was in this conversation. When is our architecture? And I jokingly said, well, all the time. But it was, it was just weird. To me, that's art, right? Like, it's a sculpture. And, and, and some of your... The, um, the lullaby factory. Mm. That's, that's, that's art, not, not architecture. But then you're, you're, you're building into bigger projects, which are architecture. And I was wondering, do people ever bring these up? Did, did... Oh, all the time. And my answer is... I don't know. <laughs> it is what it I is, mean, right? it's a category... This categorization, what is art and what's architecture, I mean, uh, I don't know. If someone tell me exactly what their categorization of yeah. what art is, what architecture is, then I probably can um, um, tell them which side it might fall into. But uh, theoretically, it can be either or. Yeah. Really. Um, some people might it incredibly functional and useful because personally I think aesthetic and its presence has a functional um, um, a functional output yeah. um, to the society and some people might not so so you never argue for and against if someone wants to call it art great if someone wants to call it architecture you're just yep. like done yeah well <laughs> they they often come with a different form of contract because hmm. I was wondering you have to self-promote yourself and I, I know personally that I'm terrible at that you know like bigging yourself up I hate it like it's not something I, I like doing but as a practice that's the, you have to do that right you have to and I was wondering when you're going for pitching for more work uh, different sectors so say you know I would say the Lullaby, um, the Lullaby Factory is a kind of art installation mm. as, as much as anything do you pitch your work as art to other clients potential clients you look we've got this background of artwork and you pitch these things or no we, we we generally just talk about what we are passionate about and how we would like to do things mm. um, not about the what project um, is art or what you know yeah. um, I don't know I mean we are fairly British about things um, <laughs> um shouting out top of our lung in a way then I go we are fucking amazing <laughs> it's not really in our nature you know yeah, it's yeah. like on our on our um, um, Twitter account it says um, the word awesome practice doing awesome project yeah, yeah, everywhere yeah, yeah. and when we that that was um, just our friend's joke when we were just doing a tagline of um, um, silly stuff but uh, yeah, I really like that though yeah, we're just like damn straight doing awesome projects no but that's like a tongue in cheek isn't it yeah, it's yeah. like taking piss out of yeah. ourselves um, and some people take it really seriously oh they think they're doing awesome project like oh, well it's quite funny yeah. <laughs> I didn't read that as like wow they, they think a lot of themselves don't they awesome <laughs> do you uh, do, I'm glad you brought that do you use social media a lot I keep, I keep wanting to bring this up with, uh, with Assemble and with Dave Batchelor. Like, is, is social media important to you guys? Because like, I, I, I'm, I feel old now, but I don't, like, I don't get why people are on Twitter. Uh, oh, Twitter? Twitter is, if you're just a single individual putting images of what you've eaten or something, I don't understand Twitter. But if you're running a practice, hmm. what, as like a, a Facebook and LinkedIn, I think Twitter's great, you know, like... You want to build momentum for a show you're putting on or, you know, an exhibition. But is there? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. I, I, is there? Like, did, I don't know. Do people go, do you know what? I heard you put on Twitter that you're having a uh, exhibition, so I came along. I, I, I don't know if, like... I guess that happens. Yeah. Um, but you use it, right? Because you put updates yeah. and things, and do you see it as a just... Uh, it's important to have a presence. You know, if people type in Studio Weave, you pop up on Twitter, you pop up on 
websites. Yeah, it's just being there. Yes, yeah. I mean. We don't really think about that very much. It just uh, happened to be if someone, I mean, we set up Twitter account and everyone in our office can post it whenever I they really, want it. Um, I use my personal Twitter account as my almost like Facebook status update um, <coughs> part. Um, I find Facebook quite useful because mm. my friends are all over the world and, you know, to keep it connected and keep my um, email um, inbox rather clean. Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of consolidating um, um, what you're doing, you know. Um, the importance of it, yes, I think in a that there is huge value in terms of bringing together society in a in a way that it does. Mm. Um, the same as like what uh, invention of internet did, <laughs> what telephone did, what mobile phone did. Um, you know, it's just the dissemination of information and um, um, how we position ourselves in the world. Yeah. Because um, I, I do understand Twitter's enormous, Twitter's massive, and Instagram is huge and Facebook's huge. I guess, I don't know, like from a singular person, you're like, what, what am I getting out of this? Like, it's interesting. And I, I'm addicted to just, I, it annoys the hell out of me. On Facebook, I'm just scrolling and then. I sometimes delete the app and I'm like, I'm not going to go on it. And then within a day, I crawl back to Facebook and I want it again. And I'm like, why? Why do I do it to myself? Because, because we don't want to be alone. <laughs> yeah. There, yeah. Are, there are things out there. And sometimes sometime it seems like we feel very lonely and siloed. And if you're on Facebook and, you know, people are there. Mm. I mean... That must be one of the great things about having your studio with all with everyone in the same room yeah I love them yeah I love them it must it must be great you know like yeah. what a team right and then do you know what we're going to finish now and we're just going to have some drinks and we, and then actually probably chat about stuff design ideas fly around just as much yeah. as they do I mean we we drink while we work <laughs> awesome <laughs> five o'clock in the afternoon gin and tonic mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean it's we don't really separate the work life and personal life in a very clear-cut manner. Mm. I think you can be professional and have fun. Yeah. Um, and you got to enjoy what you do, right? Yeah. In order to have a good output. We are all passionate people, but and and we work hard, I would say, mm. I guess. Um, and that doesn't mean we have to be serious all the time. Yeah. Um, then I don't think my productivity will be um, good at all. Yeah. Um, I love people that I work with and I want to work with the people that I get on with. Yeah. All our consultants, um, like structural engineers or lighting designers or quantity surveyors, I love going out, having drinking with them. It's just, it's just you know, they're just a nice bunch of people. Yeah. Um, it makes such a difference though, doesn't it? It's, there's nothing more annoying than working with a team of people. I, I just mean like consultants who, not even are horrible, they just, they're just not that into it. You know, they're not that enthusiastic and you're just like, oh. you need to drum it up. Yeah, yeah. You need to drum it up. But I, th I think it's, uh, yeah, I can totally see the appeal of it and I think the idea that if you've got to work 12, 14 hours a day, it's got to be something you're excited and passionate about, isn't it? And But I think it's like, um, um, like any relationship, if you want to have a close relationship, you need to step forward first. Mm. If both are waiting, it's never going to happen. Yeah. You know? So, I don't know. I'm... I think I say this quite a lot. It's getting quite boring. I mean, if you want something, go for it. I totally agree. Yeah. Don't just sit down and be, you know, grumbling about it. Just be realistic and try to understand what you're thinking mm. because often we dream and what we want and what we need desire is a far beyond than what you can actually achieve so what's so talking of uh, going out and getting it what what what's next for studio eve like or i spoke to this guy on a, on a plane and he was a business development manager and he randomly started talking to me and i spoke to him about architecture mm. And uh, he was like, do you know what? He was from, he was from Canada. And uh, he was saying that um, I've spoken to architects and they never have a five-year plan. And it drives him insane. And I was just like, I don't... You can have a five-year plan, but I don't think anyone... It, there's no logic to how you get more work in, it seems, to, uh, on a small scale. You know, you, it, if you were to have a five-year plan... 
I do have a five-year plan. Go on. I actually have a ten-year plan. Well, this is perfect. What's... No, I'm not saying. I'm, I'm <laughs> not telling you. Is it locked in a safe? And if you achieve it, you'll be like, see, I told you I'd have a ten-year no, plan. No, I, I think it's it's not about that. It's um, it's not about having the goal like, oh, in ten years' time, I want to have a three hundred employees <laughs> and um, uh, have built um, um, you know, I don't know, five hundred million pounds worth of building. It's not quantitative yeah. um, goal. It's more like you know, the what kind of organization that I would like to be involved in, mm. and um, um, how I could contribute in a certain aspect of life or to the society. So yours is a more uh, personal development plan in your head. This is what I, I this is what, if if, we, if I get to this point in five years, I'll be very happy. Yeah. Not not money and not scale, but just from a personal point of view. I guess you want to. Well, I mean, it's it it's always going to be. I mean, there is a business plan about the company. Mm. Obviously, you know, there is a flows and things and, but that will progress naturally um, with the designing the organization and how it mm. works. Um, so, I don't know. And I mean, yeah, I, I have a plotted like traditional model of um, a capital trajectory of like revenues and mm. things. Yeah, that's our, this is one of the tools, um, certainly. Um, they're kind of project targets you know oh do you know what we'd love to do and then a project that you know you i know make would love to do a cultural like a museum or a gallery or something yeah so that's what we're focusing on over the next five years and i was wondering do you what what type of things do you want studio weave or or are you working on them now and they're going to come to fruition in a couple of years or five years time or housing yeah housing um we well i mean myself mm -hmm. uh, personally interested in where um people spend a lot of time and where we form our relationship um so i have a great passion for office buildings and houses and housings mm. and public spaces um but you know it's that doesn't mean that um we're not interested in the galleries um or other things, but that that's not just a, um, a singular sector that we're thinking. It's more of a how it embeds itself to its surroundings. Yeah. That's what interests me, um, and quite a lot of us, that what it means to have a gallery in this location and at this time is far more important mm. than just simply the the volumetric understanding of the gallery yeah. it's it's a big part but what does this mean to this place yeah you know um because so. i am <clears throat> going over to uh assemble studios and they've built the yard house of sugar house the, the the rentable office space and then also coming here and seeing this kind of rentable like studio space and then david bachelor's he's just gone to new one and it's just really interesting. You know, you go down these corridors and when the doors are open, you can see and you've got like art studio, gallery space, architect, designer, and they're just such amazing places. But you look at them from the outside and, you know, they're just like an old warehouse or something. And I think, yeah, I can, I can totally see why kind of office space in that mindset becomes a really interesting typology. Like when you said we want to work in houses and I thought... For a split second, you're going to go, because the, the money, the money would be great. And then you went, because of the kind of, that's where people connect and that's where people spend most of their time. And such a nice, you know, if you do a house that people love, that's less like that. You know, it's like, we are working on really big housing project at the moment, which oh, really? is 100% social rent. Um, we will always be that type of organization. Yeah. Whatever money comes in, we'll spend it yeah. on resource. Because we won't be just looking at the singular method of doing things. We will be looking at, you know, the why something doesn't work. Why do we have problem? We spend a lot of time finessing. Yeah. Because um, the the story side of things, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we're going going full circle back to the original thing. That's uh, 
that's like another work stream. If it, it's a lot of work to prove and create a story, and that's I don't know. Like it, it's it's a lot of work, isn't it? Additional work, and I think. It, the amount of hours that you put in for the amount of hours that you charge out and never they're never nope. gonna stack up nope. and uh, I always think you know the second you start chasing money as a primary function and you try and break down okay how much are we spend what are we doing that's taking up all our hours how can we it's more efficient this is the second you lose all the all the kind of nice and fun parts that you that you started for which is why you do have to be passionate about what you're doing to spend 12 14 hour days Oh no 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 no! People people in our office turn up at half nine. They pretty much all go home before seven. That's awesome. We I I don't I really dislike um, the long hour oh, really? working. No, that's awesome to hear. No, I mean yeah. it's um, it's tragic that um, sometimes that have to happen. But you know, when you're having fun, yeah, you can work late. Yeah, but. And GNTs, obviously. Yeah, keeps I mean, office, but, you obviously. know, um, no, be productive while you're working and go home, mm. um, have life. So if any part one's listening to this, are you guys hiring at all? <laughs> actually, we might be hiring. There you go, part ones, he's hiring. Oh, we actually generally don't hire part ones. Oh, oh. Scratch that, scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> Fail. Um, no, I mean, but it doesn't, it doesn't really matter the, which stage of life they're in. Um, but if you value yourself, your value judgment is about your uh, wages. Mm. Um, we're definitely not it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but we are interested in interesting people that who who want to do things, mm. but being um, analytical to themselves and who can apply themselves into the world. Um, we get a lot of CVs. And let's face it, a lot of them are, it's you know, it's just not quite a right fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, because you're all you're all in one room, you know. There's nowhere to hide. If you don't get on with someone, you don't get on with someone. I think as personality plays such a big part in an interview. I guess when you're uh, interviewing someone, you know, you've made up your mind relatively quickly. They're just not going to fit in, are they? I think they need it. to be quite relaxed. If yeah. you take take yourself too seriously no mm. that's just not going to work yeah <laughs> it's uh, we're coming up to the hour mark so I'll, uh, I, I've taken up loads of your time so I'll wrap this up but I, I was just uh, it's interesting you said about personality and how you employ people because when I first said I was going to work at Make I was talking to um, uh, uh, a tutor at Nottingham and she went you know what you'd fit in really well at Make because she used to um, uh, what's it called you um, send people to go to different practices I've completely forgotten the name anyway this idea that personalities is just as important as your grades I'd, I'd not really factored in to uh, and it's I think it's, it's so important <clears throat> what you're saying you're excited to come to work you're excited about the group of people you've got and <clears throat> if you if you take yourself way too seriously you may get the best grades at the Bartlett or Westminster and get win the you know the first prize of the year but no one's going to want to work with you unless you start your own practice and then I guess you can do whatever you want but no you can never do what you what you want in that context <laughs> I mean but I I don't know I mean I, just just people need to learn how to let your hair down and just you know to look at yourself you can be critical to yourself I mm. think we should all do that you can look at yourself um, as critically as you can and then drink a couple of GNT and get over it <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's the key. That's what we. That's what we. Yeah. I think we'll wrap up there and just say, if in doubt, have a gin and tonic and just chill out. Oh yeah, exactly. No, I mean, it's, it's such a nice day. I know, twenty four degrees C. <laughs> what? What are we doing in this bloody meeting room and not outside of drinking GNT? What time is this? Ten o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's, it's nine minutes past drinking time. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jay. That's been really good. Well, thank you very much. I really hope you enjoyed that. That was episode number three of the Create More podcast with uh, with Jay from Studio Eve. Um, yeah, that was fun. That was, uh, that was the first uh, kind of new setup for me because that was uh, I'd not actually met Jay before, um, so this was the first kind of podcast I'd done where I didn't I was I didn't know the person or I had not met the person before I did the interview. So uh, 
I got to the studios in Dalston and uh, could not find the address. Uh, and then just around the corner, you know, Jay rocks up, all chilled out in flip-flops and there's uh, his hair blowing in the breeze. And uh, I'm like, Jay, he's like, Ben, and go in and sit down. And um, we had a few phone call interruptions at the beginning and yeah, you suddenly realise as a director of a studio, he's got quite a lot of uh, phone calls coming in. So a few a uh, few misstarts at the beginning, but then uh, yeah, then we got really got into it, and then and then by the end we were both talking about our mutual love of GNTs. So um, it was really good fun, and uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I really like their website, and uh, I really like their projects. And the great thing about the podcast is I get to review and go through all of their podcasts for the images for Acast and stuff. So uh, yeah, it gives me such a good insight. So uh, I hope that you're listening to this on Acast. And if you are, I hope that you're looking at the images because uh, I, re- I think they really make a difference. I don't know, I keep banging on about it, but I put a lot of effort into it. So uh, just sh- shut up and enjoy it. Um, I don't know if you noticed, they uh, they talked about Zero Zero at the beginning. That's uh, an architecture practice they're kind of collaborating with. And um, one of the another people I'd really like to get on there on this podcast, which I'm kind of hoping to hoping to get get in contact with him through Jay, is a is a Alistair Parvin from Zero Zero, who did a really interesting TED talk about the Wiki House. So um, that is one that I'm uh, just telling you. I'm slowly trying to secretly get an interview locked in for the next uh, month or so. Um, but episode number four. And what's this? So we done one, two, three. So yeah, episode number four will be. Um, will be with Jason Bruges, who is uh, just an amazing, they're, they're an amazing studio that does really cool installation uh, architecture. And they're interactive installations, and they, they interact with people as they walk past. And I did my dissertation. I was obsessed with this practice. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they've worked with... Uh, They've just done a, they're one of their latest projects. They've done Double Digital, which is um, like an interactive door on the number 10 on Downing Street. They've worked with Channel 4, they've worked with Dyson, they've worked with Aston Martin. And uh, yeah, go to jasonbruges.com and uh, yeah, check out the website because it is amazing. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to sit down with them tomorrow and then that will come out in a couple of weeks. So uh, yeah, I really hope you enjoyed that. And uh, I will, the next podcast out in a couple of weeks. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.